welcome to Footnotes of History, the podcast that breaks open the markets of the past and showers its listeners with gold. With you, as always, are myself, Tim Philpott, and our local shogun, Daniel Nesbitt. Thanks for that richly undeserved promotion. <laughs> That's okay. I'm just acting as the figurehead for this podcast uh, today. So, don't you so, always uh, take yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, so... Um, as you, as, uh, as, so what are we discussing today, Dan? We're going to be talking about the Perry Expedition and the opening of Japan. Um, so at this point, we're looking at Japan in the 19th century, yeah. 1850s, yeah. and America looking to basically bully them trade with them and bully the, trade yeah. with them yeah. by any means possible, including yeah. forcing them to trade. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, funnily enough, actually, uh, yeah, I, I think I'll, I'll take issue with that later on in the episode. But still, um, let's, let's move on. So I think we should start with a brief orientation session about what... Uh, sorry, what Japan is? Yeah. Uh, what what const, what what is Japan like in this uh, in the eighteen you know in the in the mid eighteen hundreds? Yeah. So basically, it's it's kind of a special case. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Sorry. So from around 1603, it had been under the rule of what is known as the Tokugawa shogunate, and this is a form of military dictatorship. Um, the Tokugawa dynasty were a family that seized power after a series of wars yeah. and conflicts in Japan, and yeah. they relegated the emperor who um, was the ruler of Japan, uh, to basically rule it in just name, and they held all the power. And one of their key policies was to isolate Japan virtually completely yeah. uh, from the outside world. Yeah. Um, and this meant that there were, only very, there were only a couple of ports that outsiders could trade from, and people such as Spanish and Portuguese missionaries and traders were completely banned from, yeah, yeah. from, from the islands, mainly because they were concerned about yeah. the influence of Christianity spreading. I was going to say, what were the reasons for this? But yeah, yeah I suppose that so, is the reason. Yeah. Yeah, their, their control essentially rested on the, uh, I suppose, slightly, I mean, I was going to say mystic, but I suppose the emperor, they kept the emperor, so they obviously felt that he was important mm. to keeping the control. Yeah, uh, but they were, I mean, when we, when we refer to it as a military dictatorship, but I suppose in a, in a, in a way... Uh, it's sort of uh, still it's, it's a very sort of feudalist type yeah, system it's, com- it's like, a very it, it's yeah. probably one of the it's, it's a completely feudal society yeah. in many ways so it was very rigidly most of the pe- structured most, so most of the population would be peasants on land yeah so basically you had kind of you had the class system was completely rigidly in place you had the lords in at the top followed by samurai who yeah. obviously people know as their kind of warrior class yeah. and then below that you had various level of commoners so yeah. traders farmers that type of stuff peasants, so it's yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. what you'd imagine you know, we all learned about it in school in England yeah. about the pyramid with the king at the top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. down, so very similar in Japan at the time. Presum- yeah, although presum- yeah, presumably the the um, although with the next sort of the, the, there's the sort of shogun and then the emperor on the top. I thought, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. And so I think the main thing is at the point this point or, yeah. that we are talking about the 1850s for around 220 years they'd had what was known as sakuku, which was the policy of isolation yeah. towards the rest of the world, which kind of froze them in time. I think it did. Bit. Yeah, it did because they couldn't bring in sort of new technology. Yeah, uh, the only real. Or experiment, then. Yeah, really. yeah. yeah, the only real link they had to the West was through one Dutch trade outpost right, yeah. uh, in what is now an island off Nagasaki. Yeah. Um, uh, the port of Nagasaki. Yeah. Um, and you know they were they were they allowed the Dutch to trade because they thought they could yeah. separate religion from trade, whereas they thought the Catholic nations were much partially more because, because, yeah, partially yeah, yeah, because yeah. the Dutch and the English had told them yeah. that these Catholic <laughs> nations were much more um, much more even Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they had we were concerned about people like Spain and Portugal trading. Yeah, them. yeah. Religion was one element for yeah. the isolation. There were a couple of other ones. Yeah. Uh, one which one was that by um, putting by strictly controlling trade, mm. the Tokugawa dynasty, um, the shogunate, basically stopped other ruling fam- other noble families from getting getting influence and money from getting this. Wealthier, yeah, yeah, exactly. suppose, so they yeah. could control yeah. where the wealth went yeah. a lot easier, yeah. and they bolstered their position yeah. to basically subjugate the rest. Yeah. And also from the later sort of eighteenth century, it was also a way of protecting the mineral resources of Japan. So yeah. things like copper and silver. Yeah. It wasn't all just like flooding out of the country, it was being yeah. hoarded in. But but yeah, yeah, so so I mean, well, to make sure that it went for the to the ruling classes, I suppose. Yeah, again, yeah. to again to boss <laughs> yeah. their position. Yeah. But, I mean, interestingly, um, I was reading that you know, the yeah. the isolation basically stopped them from industrializing anyway. Yeah. Um, it sort of froze them in time. It froze them in time. I, I did read that there was actually quite a heavy investment in education. So it was a quite yes. highly literate society they had yeah. there, even though it wasn't as advanced in yeah. In terms of mechanization as other yeah. countries, I think it was um, it was sort of uh, I, I think like this. I mean, you know, uh, the, the sam- it was the samurai classes that were mostly the. I mean, they they would be almost certainly literate. Yeah, yeah. In, in, you know, um, I mean, would you, would you say does this extend to the to the sort of common? Man I don't, I don't well? think not as much, but okay. I think I think it's probably more literate than some Western societies at this point. Really, in terms of when okay. you say to be called highly literate, I imagine so. Perhaps this is something. 
out later, but the, yeah. these schools are obviously later quite important mm-hmm. for how Japan caught up with Western yeah. technology. But um, yeah, anyway, so so um, what happened to disturb this uh, this peaceful but <laughs> slightly uh, slightly horrific society? Well, I say okay. Yeah. Uh, so so we've covered isolation yeah. in Japan. We know that Japan's an insular society. Yeah. But obviously around it, there are all these countries who are looking. Yeah. To expand. We yeah. know about colonial powers in Europe. Yeah. We know America was looking to expand elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. What you know, were they aware of Japan? What were they looking at? Well, I mean that, that's I mean that's I suppose what disturbed the, the slightly peaceful slumber of the uh, slightly uh, rigid uh, Japanese society of the, mm-hmm. of the time, the Shogun society of the time. Um when um well a ser- well, essentially a series of Western sort of intrusions, I suppose, into Japanese mm-hmm. waters. I think one of, one, of the, one of the most interesting ones I saw, actually, was in 1808 when Pellew, yeah, oh, really? Admiral Pellew, was, was, yeah, exactly, who was in Hornblower. Uh, apparently, not literally in Hornblower, obviously, but um, the person who was referenced in Hornblower um, arrived, in, arrived in Japan and, and sort of essentially said, um, yeah, well, you're not going tra- you know, to trade with us, essentially, and just sort of like left. Like that was the first. Had a tangent, but that that was like one of the one of the reasons why from about the eighteen, I think it was the eighteen twenties, yeah, where the shogun was enforced his very strict policy of Mm. literally no foreigners allowed, yeah. Um, But then, but then, but then, presumably, when the Americans turned up, yeah, well, I think they they sort of forced their way in. Yeah, they did. But I think also it's interesting to point out that America had before the Perry expedition. Yeah, they had tried to to yeah. open links with the, with America with uh, Japan. So yeah. I think before the expedition happened, around thirty American ships had attempted to make some sort of contact with yeah. Japan, but they'd be knocked back at every yeah. opportunity. Yeah. But one of my favorite ones, actually, yeah. the story about the story of people trying to get into Japan, yeah. um, was in eighteen forty six. Um, Commander James Biddle yeah. um, sailed his ship into Tokyo Bay, demanded that trade commence <laughs> um, with with America. Um, but he was denied entrance. And then there was a, what I think was quite an amusing, well, probably not amusing at the time, but amusing misunderstanding of what was being, what was going on. He tried to board a Japanese ship and was literally knocked back by a samurai. As in the Japanese ship. into the water? Yeah, I think he was just knocked back on the deck. He was literally just knocked over by a samurai when he tried to get on. Not sure why he thought he was being permitted to. Being invited onto the ship. But he wasn't. But anyway, I think looking at America at the time, yeah, we can see quite clearly why they wanted to yeah. open well, links with Japan. Well, well it's, it's interesting because we, we're referring to it as trade, but really it seems like more of a sort of, uh, a sort of, um, a, a sort of we're trying, we, we want to get something off you. It's not yeah. like, it's not like... It's not give and take. Exactly, yeah. It, it wouldn't, it doesn't sound like a sort of what you would expect from a normal trade, which is like, oh, do you want to buy our products? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, okay, that's fine. We'll move on to the next person. It's more like, you will buy our products. Mm-hmm. Or you, know, you will sell us whatever you've got. Or yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. But um, I think also key to to this whole story yeah. is the fact that um, two things: one, that America had yeah. open links with China. Yeah. Um, so Biddle, who we just spoke about, he signed the first U.S.-Chinese sort of trade agreement yeah. understanding. Yeah. Um, and then also in 1848, um, America annexed California from Mexico. Yeah. So you, they've got that port on. On the side of the on the Pacific, west, yeah. on the west coast of the Pacific, yeah. which gives them access and the ability yeah. to sail ships directly from America to China. Yeah, but obviously it's a long way. Yeah, and now we're looking at steamships in yeah. cases, so they need somewhere to refuel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With coaling stations, they need somewhere to come into harbour. Yeah, and of course there's this chain of islands in between Japan. So yeah, I think this could be a this could be opportunity. Why not? Yeah, um, yeah. So they, this so Japan is a potential way station between California and China. I think is a key reason why America, why America wanted to open yeah. it up. Yeah, in the first place. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think I think you're right. I, I, in my in my own head, I had sort of. Um, I mean, you're probably gonna you're probably gonna mention these in slightly more detail in a moment, mm-hmm. but uh, three main reasons. The yeah. first one was that strategic interest of having a port which you could supply ships, um, whether they be commercial uh, commercial trading ships or whaling ships, mm-hmm. yeah. or even you know, military vessels as well, um, with with coal and supplies generally. Uh, the second one being this um, inte- it, it, the growing sort of evangelical nature of the Christianity of that that period, which was very much like, which is combined with the manifest destiny yeah. idea that you uh, you we mentioned in other episodes as well um, that you know we must civilize these savages basically. Yeah, and that just just to yeah give uh, the detail, manifest destiny is as you just, yeah. just described it is this idea in America at the time that they're 
position in society and the world was to grow, expand and yeah. civilize and literally civilize countries around them. Yeah. And people would say American Indians, they were the kind of all the brunt of it in America itself. Yeah. It was to some extent Mexicans and also at this time and this time they're growing into we need to go and civilize um people in Asia yeah. as well. Yeah. So that was manifest destiny is yeah. is a very dominant thing in American society at the time. Yeah. Um, as usual in these situations there are sort of two sides to it. There are the, this is this is the uh, commonly known as the Baptist and the bootleggers argument, which mm-hmm. is uh the Baptists obviously want to go and civilize everybody for moral reasons, and then the bootleggers want to make some money. Yeah, which basically involves you know, in this case, by force, going into Japan and taking resources, which yeah. in this case would be well, by the sounds of it, they're quite rich in copper and uh, copper and silver, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a bit of gold there as well. And the you know the reason I the reason I emphasize this point rather than the the, the traditional trading point is yeah. because. It's not like they arrived and said, oh, we can offer you all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. They, they arrived and said, give us your stuff mm-hmm. or we will shell your points. Yeah, I think it, it comes across quite clearly in something that in the, uh, in the 1850s, the American Secretary of State, a man called Daniel Webster, yeah. he, he had a quote about um, Japan, which was that he claimed that gold, God had placed coal in the depths of the Japanese islands and um, benefited the human family. Yeah. So you know, it, quite yeah. clearly from that, you can see that they are kind of, Casting hungry eyes on Japan and its resources, yeah, something yeah. that they want to take, yeah, to be used of. Well, that, well, that's yeah, that's how essentially they would, they would. I think that's that's the sort of the the, the backbone of the the, mercantil, the the view of trade, the mercantilist view of trade, mm-hmm. which is we take we get the natural resources from somewhere like Japan, yeah, take them back to America, and the, you know in the process, obviously we pay, we pay all of our traders, even mm-hmm. though they're obviously not trading anything. Uh, well, um. And then we will process those things into manufactured product, yep. products and then export them back to wherever they came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the process, they sort of, um, you know, they, they, treat it like, they treat it like a sort of business where the country where the product is made makes money off the country where the, you know, the resources came from, mm-hmm. which is sort of this um, slightly... Um, rigid view basically of international trade but yeah it, i mean it does in in either country doesn't really do the, the inhabitants any good but um yeah but yeah i think i think you've covered quite a few points about was, you know, yeah. why they wanted to so you, you quite rightly pointed out about it how it was a um manifest destiny played a role yeah. in the fact that they were it was perceived to be very resource rich yeah the americans could um take advantage of you also had the point that it was a way station between china yeah and, and california and two other bits that are quite important at the time are, you mentioned it briefly, um, American whaling ships. Yeah. So where the whaling industry was coming quite big for America in the Northern Pacific at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it was, it was sort of thought that Japan could be quite helpful in this because yeah. it, could, it could be quite a good point where American ships could, yeah. if they got into trouble, they could come and take shelter in Japanese ports or they could be resupplied in Japanese ports. Yeah. And similarly, if there was a ship, if they got wrecked, they then potentially say that survived could make it to Japan and be you know, saved. But in, yeah. The recent times where US ships and whaling ships had strayed in Japanese water, they'd been forced out. Yeah, and yeah. when shipwrecked sailors had turned up, they'd been basically imprisoned yeah. and hadn't been allowed to get back. Yeah, so yeah. these are things that Americans wanted to change. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so the other thing I think we need to emphasize is yeah. why America wanted to open up Japan yeah, is that yeah. basically it was a massive race in some ways as well. So yeah. if you think about sort of something like I was thinking about, it's sort of similar to when people were trying to climb Everest. Like yeah, I see what you mean. Like a big competition yeah. to get so, to, yeah, like, yeah. Who, who's going to be the first to open Japan. So yeah. you've got all the other Western nations, um, European powers such as Britain, France, yeah. uh, and Russia, Netherlands, Russia, Russia, Netherlands yeah. as well, yeah. are all trying to be kind of like the first power to get this you know, ability to talk to and trade with Japan yeah. and get yeah. the resources. So yeah. from America's point of view, I'm sure you influence them in a way that is sympathetic towards yeah. their nation. Yeah, yeah. and so like yeah. from America's point of view, it'd be quite a big coup to actually beat these older nations. Yeah. Um, so yeah. America's, I think, still at this point seen as kind of like the young upstart and like yeah. the fusty old uh, European powers are there, yeah. but they're, you know, America's the one who were riding off into the sunset potentially with the Japanese uh, yeah. trade deal in some ways. So yeah, yeah, that yeah. played a role as well, wanting to be the first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, did you want to move on to the the ins and outs of the yes, gunboat diplomacy of the uh, of the period? Yeah, so I think yeah. one thing before we talk about yeah. the expedition itself is quite important to talk about something that's called gunboat diplomacy. It was quite yeah, for Western for developed powers, it's quite a um, a popular choice. It seems yeah. when I mean, dealing yeah. with what was perceived as less developed powers. Yeah, so I think yeah. in the eighteen hundreds, Lord Palmerston, who was the, at various points British Prime Minister, practiced it on several yeah. occasions. Yeah. Essentially, the practice of taking um, 
either a ship or artillery ships from your country. Yeah. Which are, which have obviously cannons, rockets. Well, it's the Navy, it's the Navy, they turn up yeah. and they show sort of their might to this lesser developed power, be it in Africa, Asia, even in sort of around the Mediterranean. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it basically then they say, if you don't give us what we want, yeah. be, it, be it resources, ability to trade with you, ability to um, land yeah. our people on your shores, we will basically take it. So yeah. you have the choice of either resisting us or yeah. uh, resisting us and we'll take it anyway or just giving it to us. Yeah. Kind of thing. Well, I think in the, uh, in, the, in the prelude to the Crimean War, which mm-hmm. you've got to sort of remember in terms of context is sort of happening you know, parallel to this in Europe, the, um, or at least is starting in Europe, yeah. the, the, um, Napoleon III famously used this as a means to uh, get to bully the, the Greeks and the principality countries into giving the you know, giving France the basically the, the the political power over the over Jerusalem and the, yeah. and the holy places. So that yeah, it's just important. the new the new popular thing at the time is this sort of um, I suppose you call it I suppose it's gunboat diplomacy. It's like a very polite term for it. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. bullying. Yeah, yeah bullying. Yeah. Bullying on an international scale. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's almost like the use of the industrialized newly industrialized mm. technology. To uh, project power into yeah. less. I think, I think as you mentioned, the Greeks being the brunt of it at that point. Yeah. So Paul the brunt of Palmerston sent a government yeah. to Athens at one point because a British citizen had been, I think, assaulted by a mob, and then the government oh, really? refused to pay in compensation. So he yeah. said, basically said, if you sailed it into Athens and yeah. or steamed it into Athens and said, if you don't help this man, we'll start shelling. Yes, it's ludicrous. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that, that's gunboat diplomacy. Yeah. yeah. I think this is, in some ways, the the um, strategy America. Yeah, you decided to adopt yeah. in this case. I think presumably similar in the Opium Wars. Is that, is that exactly? The Opium Wars is another example of it, yeah. and that was kind of like on a massive scale. That was kind of obviously leading to a to actual wars. To, yeah, we'll, so we'll talk about yeah. Opium Wars in a little bit. But yeah, um, whereas I suppose if, if the other side can't really put up a fight, it's not really a war. So that's why it's called. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's why it's, so yeah. yeah. I mean, it does it does kind of make you wonder why they didn't just. Um... Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So um, so yeah. So yeah. Moving on. So we've had this. We've had Japan being isolated. Talked a little bit about the reasons about why America wanted to open links with Japan. Yeah. And I think now we've probably talked a little bit about how they went about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my favouritely named American president, President Millard Fillmore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know why I find it quite amusing. That's quite no, amusing no, it, is, name, it is an amusing name. Yeah. So yeah, he was the president at the time. Okay. And so is this, this is when? When is this? The 1850s? This is the 1850s. Early 1850s. Yeah. Early 1850s. yeah. Um, so he... Obviously, you have to think about America at the time. Internally, we're heading towards the American Civil War. Yeah, yeah. Um, so within 10 years, yeah, the Civil War will be here. There, yeah. And so internally, in domestic politics, there's already these massive yeah. sort of schisms between North and South. I think he was probably looking abroad to like, make his mark in some ways. Yeah. Um, because he couldn't do a huge amount internally. Yeah. He looking abroad and he settled on on Japan at yeah. one point. So he wrote a letter. I see. So he, he was seeing this as sort of like a political... Uh, I think so. I think, sort, of, sort of a, a stepladder for... To, to actually Promote do something, himself. yeah, 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 like, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Mired in sort of internal struggles, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so he saw, um, he wrote a letter out to the emperor, yeah, which I think kind of shows in some ways the America's lack of knowledge of what was going on in Japan at the time, yeah. So instead yeah. of addressing it to the shogun, addressed it to the emperor. That's really, that's really interesting, yeah. That the, 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 anyone would even think that would even be a, like a thing, do you mm. know what I mean? It's, it's quite interesting, the, the you know, personal diplomacy, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he in it, within the letter he he assured Japan there was no religious religious element to yeah. its expansion because they knew that much that Japan had isolated itself partially because of those reasons. Yeah, um, he also then went on to claim that America wanted friendship and commerce mm. from Japan and that he wanted to um, establish coaling stations on Japan so that they could be yeah. ships. And he assured the emperor or the Japanese that. If American citizens were allowed to come to Japan and trade, they would abide by Japanese laws. That's so he's kind of like setting out on one hand the fact that America would be friendly, and on the other hand saying we want this. Yeah, so he's been quite clear. I, I think it's, it's you know it's, it's a sort of I suppose it's in a way reasonable give and take. Yeah, I think so. In this point, it I mean, is, I, right, I think especially the respect for Japanese laws yeah. and Japanese religion is an interesting point. He's definitely we'll come to that later, I suppose. Mm. But yeah, he's definitely from a certain point. He's not from this letter. He's not really. Yeah. He's not being sort of like blood and thunder or yeah. you know, fire and blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, Saying that, yeah, blood and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he, he then he went on to basically, um, so he saw it as an opportunity to one have his letter delivered and two take back some Japanese fairs that have been wrecked, and yeah, um, and then hopefully allow the release of some U.S. sailors who had been gone to Japan and been imprisoned there. 
Oh right, I didn't shipwreck. So it was almost like a like so. so uh, I was just sorry. I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. So that basically, some Japanese sailors had sailors. I, had, so. I read that they they some Japanese sailors had been shipwrecked and they yeah. ended up in America and they yeah. wanted the expedition to take them back and then hopefully bring back some U.S. sailors who had been shipwrecked in Japan. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and so the man who was eventually put in charge of the expedition. Yeah. Um, after the first um, person that had been removed from command was a man called. Matthew C. Perry. Yeah. Um, and he was a Commodore in the American Navy. He served in the War of, 18, War of 1812 against the British yeah. and the Mexican-American War. Yeah. Um, he's also known as the father of the Steam Navy because he had encouraged the use of modern ships. Oh, really? Yeah. He'd, he wanted engineers to be trained and he'd started to um, train naval engineers as a big thing. Yeah. So he was a big moderniser within the Navy. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think Americans were actually the first... You know, the, the, the American Civil War was sort of mm. the first um, uh, sort of theatre, I suppose, in which the sort of steam and those kind of ships were used in battle, I think. So it was like mm. their baptism of fire was the American situation. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, carry on. And then he, he was quite interesting, because two things he did before he left kind yeah. of um, sort of showed how he would act when he got there yeah. in Japan. So he first, he read very widely, as widely as he could about Japanese culture okay. and sort of history to understand how they operated as well, yeah. as well as he could. Um, and secondly, he insisted that he'd have his discretion to use discretion initiative or whether it's on the mission yeah. to use whatever power he could. Um, <laughs> such a bad so idea. Okay, see yeah, what yeah. happened to, to Biddle who we talked about who yeah. knocked over by Samurai who, yeah. who demanded they tr- who they open up but they just refused. So yeah. he yeah. got assurances from the president that he could act kind of on his own initiative to yeah. to use um, and threaten the use of force if necessary. Yeah. Um, and so he, you know, he was tasked with taking the letter trying to open up Japan and then overseeing this sort of sailor exchange yeah. in some ways. Yeah, see, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say, is it, so he, he, he was actually, so he, he, presumably he was a career military man. He was, yeah, he, yeah. yeah so he, he started off in the War of eighteen twelve. So he's been in the navy for at least what, a long time. forty years. Or so, so he, he has that kind of attitude, I suppose. Um, also, here's a, here's a fun fact for you, yeah. right? So Millard Fillmore okay. was the last Whig president of America. Really? Yeah, about and, and it's yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, yeah. But what's really interesting about it that the Whigs, when you say in Britain as well, mm-hmm. the Whigs are quite. Um, they are they sort of transform into the liberals, and mm. the liberals are character. The first liberal prime minister is Palmerston, who yeah. obviously we know the as the gun. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's the interesting point is that basically he was like the. It's a change in political situation from being let's trade with everyone to let's force everyone's trade. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's just, it's, sorry, it's just a background point there. Awesome is Mr. Gunboat. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, he is Mr. Gunboat diplomacy, isn't it? So, yeah. So I think he probably invented the term, actually. I think, or Lord Gunboat diplomacy. Probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry, that was just a quick fun fact. No, and then, but, but then the next president, who is, who is uh, basically in charge throughout this uh, short period, mm. um, is, well, was a military man. So really? he obviously had a similar attitude to Perry. In, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, obviously Perry yeah, yeah. had been given the instruction to act with impunity anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's just, an, you know, it's just an interesting fact. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, Perry set off from America. Interestingly, in fact, I, yeah. when I started reading about this, I assumed, yeah. kind of in my ignorance, that they sailed from California. Right. But they didn't. Oh, they, they sailed didn't? from okay. they sailed from the East Coast, which okay. makes more sense they... Because California was still, they'd only had it for about yeah, I don't a think, few years, and they had probably didn't have the naval instru- infrastructure. Yeah, to I was going to say there's not all there, isn't it? Yeah, and I think uh, they sailed from the east coast of America and then went through places like they went to St. Helena, yeah, uh, they went to South Africa, uh, <laughs> to yeah. visit Napoleon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was great. At least. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah they, then they went through places like Sri Lanka, Singapore, and Hong Kong as well. So okay. it makes sense that they sailed that way because if you sail across. The Pacific, you've got nowhere to, yeah, as the Americans needed, and they had nowhere to really, no friendly ports, yeah, see, yeah. if there's any sort of storms, yeah. But going the other way, you have like a link chain of ports you can go yeah. to. It must have taken ages, it did. Yeah, they, they set off in November, yeah, and they arrived in July. So, the November 1852, yeah, they set off, they arrived in July 1853. That's bad, so it's a long yeah. voyage they had to go through, yeah. And this is a flotilla of eight ships, so you had four steam warships, yeah, three sloops, which is smaller kind of supply ships in some ways, yeah, support vessels, and then one, one ship was described as a battleship, so. Yeah, but uh, presumably not a steam one. I was going um, to say, it's, it's quite yeah. Rather than it doesn't sound like a normal <laughs> trade mission, does it? But yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I think it was yeah. a trade mission, but oh, it's by the fact that yeah, you know, we will we are showing off our power. Kind of thing. We'll do whatever's necessary. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, when did they, they, they visit anywhere else on the way? Or was it more like they just sort of passed by? Well, they, they, they went in all these ports. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they didn't, but then say 
stop anywhere and say train with us so this this they they visited uh, in between japan um uh at taiwan and japan there's a yeah. chain of islands called the i'm probably getting pronunciation wrong but it's called the raikuyu the raikuyu okay. islands yeah. it's, a, it's a chain of islands between um taiwan and japan and, yeah um and he kind of like from um perry's conduct in the islands you kind of see how he <laughs> then decided to yeah to force japan so when he went through he basically adopted quite a bullying approach yeah to all the islanders and kind of bullied them and threatened them and said with force and said that if you don't allow us to set up coaling stations here, then it will will come after you. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll force you to. Yeah. And um, he also, every time he appeared, he refused to negotiate with anyone except the highest authority yeah. in some ways, which is it's quite a good tactic. <laughs> so it's very, like, very military yeah. style. But yeah, yeah. So these, yeah. These, you can kind of see, as we'll, as, we'll, as we'll talk about, when he gets to Japan, he adopts these very same sort of approach and that he is going to be quite bullish yeah, in terms of how we approach it, he's not going to yeah. approach it in a sort of conciliatory manner. He's approaching yeah. as a representative of the military, and he's yeah. approaching as a man who's going to get what he wants. Yeah, he's not going to go home empty handed. Exactly, he's not going to. So he's been through this chain of islands. Um, Someone's laying diplomatic waste. Yeah, like, yeah, this um, this trail of destruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then um, he arrived in Tokyo Bay um, yeah. in July eighteen fifty three. Yeah, okay. Um, and Sorry, so he, you know, laughing, he yeah. met he met quite hostile reception. Yeah, so they. The Japanese was, um, ships came out and um, yeah. they held up a sign in French, I think, I think telling, telling him to leave. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he, um, again, immediately, he at this point, he sailed four of his ships and he had two steamships, two sloops. Right. From his flagship, he fired uh, fired off a broadside, five blanks out of his flagship guns to basically yeah. make a point. Intimidate. That, them, yeah, yeah. intimidating. Say, look, look, I've got about 70 guns on my ship. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> my ship's bigger than yours. Yeah. <laughs> Which presumably it would have been as well. Yeah, yeah, go yeah, on, sorry. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah, yeah. So he then he then sat in the in the bay on his ship. Yeah. Um, he made it difficult for Japanese officials to he didn't leave. Yeah. So then the Japanese officials thought they we need to do something about this. Yeah. So when they came to try and speak, he made it yeah. difficult for them to get on board. So he like delayed them getting on. And then when they got on board, he refused to come out of his his uh, cabin, um, <laughs> saying that he really would negotiate with the highest authority. So immediately he's laying down this marker that he's the important man. Yeah. He's not going to waste his time with sort of petty officials. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he just, you know, he just, yeah. he waited in some ways. So it was like this point they sort of they called for like reinforcements. For yes, the, did, yeah, from yeah. the art, from the from the from the shogun, from the various shogun armies. But yeah. it was like sort of uh, because they were based in different areas of the country, they didn't mm-hmm. arrive in time. Yeah, and so yeah. I think like you can imagine the panic that set off. Yeah, yeah like, I can imagine. You know, you've been it's isolated. Aliens basically yeah. arrived in yeah. our currently our territory. We yeah, you, you might have heard a few. Like sort of like snippets of information about what's going on in the outside world. Yeah. But then suddenly this, you know, there's ma- these massive ships appear in the bay, fire off a broadside. Yeah. The commander basically says he's not going to negotiate with anyone who's not senior enough for him, yeah. and no one seems to be senior enough for him to negotiate with yeah. or yeah. talk to. Yeah. And eventually, he then also, when he did speak to the representatives, he threatened that if they didn't take a letter to the capital and the shogun, he would land with his troops and march the capital to deliver the letter. <laughs> um, very nice so guy. he. Yeah. Um, when he gave the letter, he basically the letter from the president, yeah, uh, letter, letter describing America's intent, yeah, uh, was eventually handed over to a samurai in the service, yeah. of the shogun, so yeah. in the service of the shogun, the, sh- the shogun kind of, or the emperor, the, the shogun, shogun, yeah, yeah okay. because by that point, obviously, that's the seat of power, yeah, uh, you know, the practical seat, of power, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, he was handed over with probably one of the more threatening, I think, letter delivery <laughs> things I've heard of, handed over with a white flag. Uh, and said that he said that told them not to resist um, yeah. and said that um, they would return um, so he, he, he was allowed to land give the letter over to the samurai with the white flag and said that if they didn't return if they, they would return um, for a reply and if they didn't get the reply they wanted basically there would be trouble yeah so he left three days after delivering the letter so he left on the 17th of July yeah so he'd been there for a couple of weeks he'd been sort of there kind of causing havoc and terror within yeah within this small bit of Japan and then um, so it's he's not horrific in a way. I mean, what, what what could they do? Exactly. Oh, this is again. This is one of another one of my questions. There's obviously quite a. It's sort of a, a kind of combination of uh, like they didn't want to actually like you know take over and I suppose they did subjugate Japan basically. Didn't they? Mm-hmm. But I think I think yeah. you know it's one of the things like you don't want to if you're another power you don't want to. Invade another country and take it over. It's quite expensive. You can avoid it. Yeah, it's yeah, expensive. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah. then you unite the population against you. Yeah. Um, then you're true. always going to be occupying power. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's going to be a lot harder to actually leave your market. Whereas if you yeah. kind of subjugate them from the outside, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't have to spend all this money sending people to occupy them. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's quite yeah. a sort of satellite state situation. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. 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 Um, but so, yeah, Perry turned up. Yeah. He'd used quite bullying tactics to. 
yeah. with this letter with the American America's demands. Yeah. Uh, and then he sailed away. Yeah. Or steamed away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and he left the Japanese with this these list of demands. Should we yeah. talk a little bit about what the Japanese yeah, did? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's important to to emphasize how different this is to the letter previously. Because, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, well, uh, there are three, aren't there? Because there's this one. There's the first one which you were talking about, where they were like. Or we'll respect your laws yeah. while we're there, etc. And then there's this one, which is like I say, not really a commercial treaty, more mm-hmm. of a demands on strategic yeah. interests. And then, and then there's a third one, which we're going to yeah. discuss in a minute. But yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the interesting thing at the point in terms of Japan at the time is uh, soon after Perry arrived, the ruling shogun died. Yeah. Um, so not only had the Americans arrived and thrown them into a bit of chaos. Yeah. Um, their ruler died, and he was succeeded by quite an unhealthy. Son, who was still quite young, right? He had he contracted smallpox in his younger years, and historians yeah. now think that the son had also suffered from cerebral palsy. So, right. at the time, so he, really was, time he was yeah. he was not seen as a sort of like a viable successor in many ways, like a strong kid. Strong yeah, he wasn't a strong man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the power had basically handed to a what was known as a council of elders, right? And they were kind of caught between the fact that there wasn't really a precedent for what they now had to do. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So there was no precedent for them. One exercising huge amounts of power on behalf of the shogun yeah. and also the emperor. Yeah. They didn't really know how to react to the this huge foreign power just materialising on the doorstep and threatening yeah. them with war if they yeah. didn't yeah. if they didn't succeed to their kind of demands. So they took kind of what I think was one of the first times they did it. They kind of like did basically yeah. it was like a poll of all the lords yeah. um, in, yeah. in Japan. Yeah. Um it was quite evenly split as well. Yeah. With uh, nineteen of them strongly being strongly yeah. in favour of accepting all demands. Yeah. Nineteen being against yeah. the same should resist. Yeah, so I mean, as I said, there's a split between sort of those in favour of war and those yeah, yeah. against it, and then there's also a few like, like yeah, it was like like half in favour of yeah. accepting and half fervently against yeah. accepting. Basically. And then there was yeah. some in the middle yeah. saying that they they were concerned about war but not really sure yeah. about which way to it's go. Like the, the sitting on the fence. Yeah, and there was there was two that actually said we'll just go along with whatever decision is wow. taken, so being no help yeah, in yeah, the exactly, situation. Yeah. Well, it's showing some leadership there. Yeah, and there was there was however from the responses of like a widespread. Thing of we need to strengthen our naval defences. Yeah, so yeah, that was yeah. done. For the I think. I think this is not also the period of the um, the great um, I said the great catch up, but the 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 temple schools which were mm. educating the samurai. Part of their ed- curriculum, which was sort of more and more coming into a coming into practice since since the since the early periods of uh, since the early years of the nineteenth century because of the contact with Western you know, bullying Western yeah. powers basically, um, or at least hostile Western Western powers, uh, understanding. It was, it was an education curriculum that was focused on understanding and uh, sort of spreading knowledge of Western technology and cultural ideas. Um, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything like, you know, you know, we started, to, it was essentially, it was sort of, um, well, I used the phrase I used earlier, it was like a safe space for discussing these basically uh, heretical concepts, which the shogun could sort of keep compartmentalised. So they were aware of them. Yeah. But they were only aware of them in the sense that they would be applied to foreigners mm-hmm. rather than applied to society generally. Yeah. Which I think was sort of storing up this problem for later. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, this this um, this um, sort of it comes into force in earnest, basically, yeah. from this point onwards. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, as pointed out in Japan, yeah. there's some elements about moving forward at this time. Yeah, yeah. Council elders kind of a little bit paralysed about what to do. Yeah. The show is, is like everything is going wrong at the, at the wrong, everything is going wrong just at the wrong time as well. So yeah. like in the show, there's no strong man ruler. Yeah. The council elders don't want to do, but at the same time, there's some some movement about moving forward in society. Yeah, at yeah. At the time. And from that sort of perspective, maybe we should talk about when Perry returned. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so basically Perry returned... How, long, how much later was this? Well, Perry returned in February 1854, so... So a couple of years. Okay. Know, yeah, yeah, so he about six months later. Oh, six months. Well, okay. he oh, left, no, of he course, yeah, July, he left in July. Yeah, of course, yeah, sorry. Uh, he went to China. Yeah. Uh, and came back in... Shrimpy <laughs> did the same there. Yeah. <laughs> came back. Well, they, yeah. they'd already... They'd already oh, they'd already opened yeah, to China. From, so yeah, from yeah. 18... 46, they, okay. they'd, they'd been open. Yeah. <laughs> open for uh, extraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so yeah, uh, he returned, he returned earlier than he wanted to because from a couple of factors. Yeah, one of the Russian, so he knew that... Um, well, this, is near, this is nearly the Crimean War, I think. Oh, it is the Crimean War now. The Crimean War was happening. Yeah. But, um, but he had realised, well, he'd heard the Russians had also sent a fleet to Japan right. just after he'd got a fleet for Tiller, just after he'd left to attempt to basically do the same thing, yeah. force the Japanese to sign a treaty. Yeah. Um, so he knew that he was in direct competition with the Russians now, yeah. so he had to act. Also, he'd heard that the British and the French were preparing to send representatives with him. Uh, so they would they would, arrive, they would 
be there if he if he delayed further the British and French would turn up yeah. and basically try and steal his thunder yeah. steal America's thunder um, so he had to go quickly yeah. um, and they didn't you know, so he didn't want to America lose ground to Britain and France yeah. and lose prestige because yeah. then obviously they'd have to share it yeah. uh, well, well it, it sort of it sort of um, it does kind of underline the uh, the slightly strange nature of the, the trade situation they were trying to yeah. get doesn't it if, you, if you're worried about well I suppose worried about competition which mm-hmm. kind of implies that you're well, I think this is why this bit is, is more about uh, almost more about prestige thing yeah, in the first yeah. instance. But we're the first yeah. to do it, kind of like yeah. we're the first to get to Stockholm, we're the first to get to the South Pole, kind of thing. Yeah, it's a yeah. race more than a yeah. than anything else in yeah. some ways. So, yeah, yeah. And so he went back to uh, Japan in in February yeah. eighteen fifty four, and he, this time he had ten ships and sixteen hundred men. So even more kind <laughs> even of more. You know, even more shock at all. Yeah, yeah. And when he arrived, Japanese, yeah, basically <laughs> when he arrived, Japanese just quickly submitted to the American demands right, and right. said that you know we'll agree. Then they spent weeks deciding where to actually have the treaty signed. <laughs> um, and then Perry then threatened, because he got sick of basically yeah. going back to war, and he threatened to leave and return with 100 ships to yeah. basically force Japanese to submit. Yeah. One thing that was quite amusing about this, American actually have 100 ships yeah. to, to, uh, in their navy. Yeah. Um, but should we talk about the Convention of Kangawa, which was what came out of this? Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, so so the convention is essentially, it was more of a, strate- like, say more of a strategic treaty than a, yeah, than it was, a commerce treaty. Yeah, it was a sort of a stepping stone to later, yeah. I think. Yeah. So it laid down the 12 articles that basically, in effect, guaranteed there would be peace between America and Japan. Um, the yeah. ports of uh, Shimoda and Hakodata yeah. uh, were opened to American yeah. ships. And this wasn't specific to trade, it was to for them to come and bring on re- right. like resupply, yeah. repair of necessary and gallant yeah. provisions. Yeah. Um, so American ships would be able to do that on their way yeah. to China or wherever else. Yeah. Um, it allowed American concerts to be established, which right. is quite a big thing because obviously Westerns hadn't been allowed to do this before. Yeah. And other yeah, yeah. hadn't been allowed to do this in Japan before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it gave assurances that any shipped red sailors or impaled ships would be held rather than imprisoned or forced yeah. away. Yeah. Um, and I think Kind of like it, most, it, funnily enough, that's actually sort of like the basics, isn't it? Really, it's yeah. not like you wouldn't. Um, obviously, Japan being perhaps perhaps understandably hostile towards foreigners, it's like these obviously were not things that were happening already. No, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like a there's loads of like stepping stone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think the most important one in some ways is the fact that it it contains what's called a most favored nation clause. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was basically that if another nation. Another Western nations they yeah. came and negotiated a better treaty with yeah. Japan. Yeah. All of the treaty clauses that were better and, and um, than the, than the ones that America had signed would then yeah. be applied to America as well. Yeah. So they're always going to remain at least on par with all the other powers. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think that that kind of thing doesn't. I mean, I mean this is basically a piece of paper, and mm-hmm. uh, and they've managed to get it by force. Yeah. So if America turns out to be, I mean, so so say to so say they did treat French or the or the British better than the Americans in terms of trade. What is America going to do? They're going to turn up and start shelling the place. Mm. That's no all. Yeah. Um, and then, and then presumably the British and French will come back and be like, oh, "Well, we're not, we're not the most favoured anymore, so we mm. might just come come back." And I think start. that's like, it's like the hell sort of, that these yeah. nations are trapped in. Yeah, 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 sort of like yeah. bullying Western powers, yeah, just yeah, yeah. And like rampaging around the planet. Just yeah. doing it really, it really like, is like. I mean, you just I don't know. Just yeah. I think it's like in in sort of, we all think about as many many evil times being really uncivilized because you would have sort of. The law to turn up and extract, extracting by yeah. force these, yeah. you know, the resources from the local peasantry. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, but yeah. this is literally it, but on a, yeah. with a with a more civilized face. Yeah, I think I think calling it trade is a mistake. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's yeah, it's trade, but through fear. Yeah, thing, really. yeah, it's, yeah. it's not an equal sided partnership. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry, we we. I think we should. Um, are we gonna? Yeah. So 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 that is. So we cover the convention. Yeah, I mean, that effect is the end of the expedition. Yeah. So Perry got everything he wanted, really, yeah. in, in effect. He'd yeah. opened up Japan. Yeah. He'd got them onto this footing where they could send an American yeah. consul to be there and be permanently based there. Yeah. He got, got them as a way station yeah. for American shipping, and he got them to agree to help American ships and yeah. shipping if it was got into trouble. Um, so basically, like, tick list of what America wanted, it was tick, 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 tick. Yeah. And the big tick is that it opened the way for further talks yeah. about... Trade yeah. down the line. Did you want to? Did you want to mention that briefly? Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure how much detail you want to go into. But, it, but I, I think I think it's. I think it's, yeah. So it's like it's, I think one of the main things that's, that is important about this is the that the American position so hot since the first letter from mm. the from Fillmore, Fillmore? Yeah, yeah, Fillmore, Fillmore. Sorry, um, the American position had hardened to such an extent that they realised they could just dictate terms yeah. to the Japanese rather than being conciliatory and saying. Mm. Oh, we will respect your your religion. We will respect your customs of law. That kind of thing. They're now saying, 
you're not allowed to do any of this. Yeah, yeah. We will deal with those things. Yeah, and I think just so moving on to the aftermath. Yeah, sorry. About, yeah, um, is kind of, uh, Perry returned to America where he basically got a hero's welcome. Yeah. Um, from Congress, who voted him a twenty thousand dollars as a reward for doing it, <laughs> who was so promoted good. to a rear admiral. Well, I think that sums it up. Yeah, it's like there's nothing to do with the trade. Mm. It's just yeah. Uh, but he he then spent kind of like his remaining years preparing his memoirs and his uh, three volume biography of the times yeah. kind of thing. He died quite soon afterwards. So he died yeah. in eighteen fifty eight. Yeah. Um, but what he laid the, the sort of foundations he laid yeah kind of are clearly shown. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. like yeah. after after this after he returned, America sent its first consul to yeah. to Japan, a man called Townsend Harris. Yeah. And he was sent with a very kind of clear instruction which was to build on the convention yeah. as well. Um and so he did. He did try, but it took longer than the Yeah than expected. Longer than, longer than first because yeah. He didn't have this military force to back him up, I think, yeah. in many ways. He didn't have the immediate threat of, we're going to come for you if, yeah. you, don't, if you don't start trading with us. Yeah. I think the key point is something we, we mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, which was the Opium War, yeah. the First and Second Opium Wars, which is where Britain, in the first instance, uh, forced Japan, uh, forced, sorry, forced China to open yeah. up in, yeah. in, the, in a big way that it had. Yeah. And then in the Second Opium War, uh, France joined them, right. forced them again to start opening up, and then America joined in sort of a more limited way. Yeah. Just for everybody's information, the show notes page for this episode is footnotesofhistory.com slash 11. Uh, so I think the key point in sort of changing Japan's view towards Harris and his negotiations were the yeah. Opium Wars, um, which just to give a quick background on were, in the first instance, Britain uh, forcing China to open up further than it already had in terms of trade. Yeah. Then France joined in in the Second Opium War. Well, I think, I think um, sorry, just, just uh, quickly jump in there. The, um, it is a very similar situation to Japan where they were, like, is, yeah. they were quite isolationist. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, Britain and France were like, we need, we need this. Yeah, need and this. they had opened up a little bit beforehand because America had worse trading with them. Yeah, and they had, but they wanted more access. Well, more. I think in some ways you can you can understand why some trading would would occur because obviously you know trade is supposed to be between you know, some some well yeah exactly cons- consenting individuals exactly yeah uh, whereas obviously in a broader sense if the if the state knows that you're trading with these barbarian foreigners mm-hmm. then you will probably be executed or something yeah but, um, but, so yeah yeah and I think yeah so we had the, when it came to the Open Wars is Britain and France. Britain, then Britain and France in, yes. the, in the Second Open War. And then later on in the Second Open War, America also joined in to an yeah. extent to basically force more access to Chinese markets and Chinese yeah. products and stuff like that. I think um, we should definitely do an episode on that. I think we will, yeah. I think yeah. it's quite interesting. Maybe it will, this whole period of kind of mm. like, I think also like colonialism in Asia is, is so much less understood than, well, less talked about than colonialism in Africa. Yeah. yeah. I think because it happened very diff- quite differently. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in Africa, the sort of overall arching thing was the European powers would come and then they would sort of settle there almost yeah. and then on like rule uh, yeah, directly the, in the uh, in the in the colony. In Whereas yeah. in Asia it seems a bit differently. Like they don't always obviously you have India which is a bit different when yeah. obviously the Britain did take over fully but also yeah. like places like China, Japan, yeah. Korea as other places there wasn't there was kind of subjugation going on. Yeah. It was kind of by, de- by Yeah, by an arm's length. By, type yeah, by way, Foxy yeah. almost. Yeah. I think it's quite, it's quite a, it's less talked about. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe I think my theory is partially yeah. because Asia's equivalently further away than Africa. It's yeah. a lot harder yeah. to actually get troops yeah. out there to do the do the work of yeah. taking over. I think also as also we sort of mentioned in, in the Great Trek, there are bases in Africa for quite quite a long time mm. that are traditionally there as European yeah. bases, whereas obviously in Asia, it's yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. But maybe, I think it's maybe it's yeah. definitely something we can look into. Anymore, yeah, I think. But yeah, anyway, so um, you had the Opium Wars, which in many ways persuaded Japan that actually, if we don't let the Western powers trade with us, if we don't open up further, yeah, there's going to be a war and yeah. we'll lose. Yeah, I think, and they're not they're going to be relentless and not going to stop until they get what they want. Yeah. So the, in 1858, the yeah. Harris was known as the Harris Treaty. Was signed. I would say as well the the um, you know the relative. Power of the Western European, the Western European powers at this time is just just ludicrous. Like, yeah, they're, yeah, they're almost. I mean, we're not quite at the fully ironclad stage, but we're nearly there. Yes, yeah, like, these, these ships mechanized. are just unbelievable. They're industrial. Yeah, yeah. They're, they have to have modern rifles. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and like modern sort of ways and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. ways of waging war. Yeah, and, and also yeah. they're not afraid to ally with each other as well. In yeah. some cases, too, like Britain, France are allying with each other to fight and force them over. Yeah, and stuff yeah. Like that. So they're not afraid. It's not mean you might just face one in the first instance, yeah. but then. Then progressively, you'll face more and more. Yeah, you, yeah. Bit of resistance, but yeah. So the Harris Treaty was agreed in eighteen fifty eight, and this is the natural successor to the Convention of Kangawa. Indeed, yeah. So it mandated, in, uh, some, it mandated that foreign citizens would be tried in their own countries. Yeah. Crimes committed in Japan. Yes. Yeah. There was a sort of skepticism in the West of the Japanese 
ecosystem yeah. and how they're treated. Plus, also, I think I think a little bit of um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a little bit of liberty is taken because that was that's the yeah, complete yeah, opposite, that's yeah, complete yeah, opposite to what they said during yeah. the letter. The they would be less yeah. yeah, but this is this could be complete three sixty. Yeah, um, turn on this. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, because yeah. they would turn around and they would turn back. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, a good yeah. point. That's why it's called a U-turn. Yeah. Indeed. He's in a policy circle. He's got to Anyway, it's a bit more humiliating than a U-turn, isn't it? Because you U-turned on yourself and Twice. you U-turn back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They didn't do that. It yeah. was a 180. Yeah. It was a 180. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it also allowed American citizens to settle and establish their own religious sites in designated areas in Japan. So yeah. again, it's going back on 200, 220 odd years of uh, policy in Japan yeah. Yeah. of stopping Christianity coming in, of stopping... Yeah. Western trade overwhelming them. Yes. You know, it's allowing Americans in. Yeah. Um, it fixed low import export duties in, in Japanese ports. Yeah. Um, and also these would I think these would be revised on the as it were, the international powers rather than right. Japan itself. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um which we should, we should you know, I mean, I don't want to go too into too much detail, but yeah. it's a bit of a crisis because basically I just want to reiterate the yeah. story about the gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So got, uh, Japan had a had a sort of uh, you know, centrist sort of centralized sort of um, official exchange rate of one gold piece to five silver pieces, mm-hmm. whereas the international exchange rate was one gold piece to fifteen silver pieces. So all these all these European kids were turning up with all their yeah. silver, and uh, just running off with loads of gold, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so that that was like sort of like a minor like a panic that occurred yeah. within the within the shogun at the time. But yeah, go on, sorry. Um, it's kind of like the worst nightmare anyways. Like, all they've been trying to protect that. Yeah. All and stuff now just being... Exactly, just, just exploited. Extracted. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I think something also worth mentioning, they've opened up more ports to the Western powers so they could come in in more areas to Japan. Yeah. So again, and I think overall this showed to many Japanese people that the power of the shogun was being undermined. It, was, yeah. it showed that there was cracks in the system yeah, in many yeah, ways yeah. and that yeah. they weren't this powerful... The yeah. system wasn't this powerful entity that it had. Yeah, it I think had it, it also had like some mysticism was broken. Yeah, by, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think this because the Western studies bit in the education system, in the this system, the education establishment was, I think, potentially also another. I mean, you know, there, there's no, there's no hard evidence that this definitely happened, mm. but I can see why this might people might start to question. Look, well, maybe this is, you know, maybe yeah. maybe this does. Well, I think this does draw into question yeah. what the shogun is trying to do. It does. It does. You see it everywhere, like in the terms of like, you know, looking back, it's completely unrelated. Um, yeah. History, but in the Falklands War in the eighties, um, yeah. after the Argentines were Argentines were so sort of comprehensively defeated, yeah. um, the junta in in Argentina fell quite soon yeah, afterwards because yeah, yeah, they'd been been humbled internationally, yeah, which yeah. is similar to what's happened here. Yeah. This power had been shown to be greater than them, yeah. and the people internally see that actually the regime in charge. Isn't this pretty incompetent? Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not this mighty thing that yeah. you know, they were making themselves out to be. Yeah, yeah. Thing. and I think this is exactly what happened here because, yeah. as we've seen, the internal structure yeah. in Japan changes. Yes, well, the, as a the, result, the, the, the Boshin War, uh, which which is sort of like the period after, very shortly after. I yeah. think there was like a series of earthquakes as well, which is like <laughs> everyone was like the gods are, yeah, you know, like, the, the the gods are displeased at the shogunate's yeah. conduct basically, and um, the um, the so loyal, the loyalist forces to the the original yeah. emperor, who was currently a figurehead, who was a, a figurehead during the whole period, rather mm. than actually in power, seized essentially control back from the shogunate, yeah, and uh, yeah. re-established the the the, the emperor as the yeah. main. So the imperial court became yeah. the, the main thing again, yeah. rather than. So yeah, and I think it's quite. It gave the, as you say, the lords an opportunity to actually. Yeah, yeah. Sense. I think I think also there is another another point here that you mm. raised earlier was that. The trade actually allowed them to, um, uh, you know, accumulate some some wealth at the, yeah, yeah. you know, whereas whereas previously obviously the shogunate was in charge of literally everything. Mm-hmm. They would be the ones who benefited from anything that happened in terms of wealth accumulation yeah. in the country. And now it was happening independently of their control, so they were losing, you know, losing out, I suppose, but they were staying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. and equally because there'd been this support for strengthening naval defences, there yeah. was a. Rearmament in society anyway, which contributed to this fact yeah, that yeah. you know there was a there was a, a footing to actually yeah to actually rise to rebel, up anyway, basically, basically yeah yeah so I think yeah then I think eighteen sixty eight is what I've got down is when the uh, the the major restoration yeah, happened yeah. and when the imperial it took a while it seems to take a while but um, yeah, I, suppose, I, think, I suppose it's quite a long drawn out process you do I mean yeah and I think <laughs> they had to like yeah they had to literally break the power of the shogun completely yeah. and forces forces I think he went, yeah. they, they eventually I think some pro shogun forces went off into another bit of the islands right. and tried to keep power there and yeah. they were pushed back and back. 
remnant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was wondering about the the because it's interesting what you're saying about the dates. Mm. So if the American Civil War might have distracted some of the uh, some, some of the, the Americans. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Catalyst is questionable, but um, imperialists, <laughs> shall we say, um, distracted them from uh, from Japan for a while, giving breathing space for the loyal, loyal imperial forces mm. to take back control of the well for a civil war, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I think. Just to round off, I think. Um, firstly, do you have any further reading for people to do? Perry's memoirs are probably probably the first port. Yeah, first port of call, so yeah. to speak. Um, yeah, just just for just for the, the initial mm-hmm. framework of what happened, even if it if you might might see it from a slightly more elevated moral perspective. Yeah. than we have. Been I mean, that's why that's exactly what I'm seeing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's got he's, as I said three volumes sort of memoir on his expedition yeah. and, and um, his three life. Volumes. Yeah, um, and I think it's quite an interesting one because I think it's still kind of in many ways like access to there's no when I was looking at there wasn't a huge amount of sort of easy accessible books on this right on yeah, this yeah specific yeah. topic I mean there are obviously history of Japan and stuff which are worth, well worth reading but you have to get in you have to get into the topic to know exactly what but yeah, um, yeah. well I, I, no, yeah I know what you mean yeah, it's, it's, it's not as under, 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 yeah, under, yeah. so are, there are books and stuff out there that are a little bit harder to get hold of there are some good websites on it as well mm. some good pieces on it so yeah. Yeah, go to the look at the internet first yeah um, have a look at there I mean, some good bits on the American state archives as well, oh, really? with, yeah. the, with the original letters from the president and things as well. Oh, yeah, good. Oh, yeah. So they're all worth looking at. Yeah. Um, but I think also to, to round off, I think, you know, it shows what happens, this incident happens when you, when sort of a lesser, sort of lesser developed power comes yeah. up against a well, industrial, fully industrialised well, power. Industrial, yeah. yeah, industrializing you know, aspects of the nation, yeah. Hmm. And shows kind of like that thing in foreign policy when you have a powerful nation, it yeah. will get its way. Yeah. It's dealing with a less powerful nation. Yeah, I mean, especially it definitely in the terms of the. I mean, I th- you know, I think it's really important to under- underscore the military context to this because mm. if you were going to address real trade, I suppose it wouldn't be necessarily. Yeah. I, you, there are alternatives to basically bullying people and trading with you. Yeah. I mean, that's what we start saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it shows that quite interesting. It's quite a nineteenth-century Japan's quite an interesting topic because it you know, yeah. it's so completely different to the Western civilization. Yeah. It purposely isolated itself. And yeah, I think this shows what happens when a country that's um, I say itself comes up against another yeah. country that is so outward looking. Yeah, so, I don't think it, it, it also. So much, sorry, yeah, I was, yeah sorry. so much further down the line than um, yeah. than it is in terms of industrialization. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's quite interesting because it you know, provokes such a profound and comprehensive change in Japanese society as well. Yeah, like, yeah. literally, the Shogunate fell. Yeah, um, just over ten years after the yeah. the Americans turned up. So yeah. it shows very clearly that. Yeah, the Americans got exactly what they wanted. And yeah. Japanese society was changed kind of irrevocably. Yeah, so. yeah. And I think in some way, I mean, you could, you, one might even make the argument that the isolation may have made it worse because obviously in conducting trade and association with Western powers, Japan would have been open to newer ideas and new, mm. uh, you know, in terms of defending itself, industri- the, you know, the industry is obviously uh, like essential. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's key. Yeah, and 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 it would not have suffered such a massive structural. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would have would have almost like for certainly would have happened completely different if they had you know for two hundred years been open to to this like vast um, sort of industrialization that was happening and like progress was happening in other countries. Yeah, but yeah, 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 they weren't. So (laughs) so it didn't happen. So it happened in this way that they were bullied into into submission essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that, I suppose that'll round up today's episode. Visit mm. yeah, indeed, and uh, visit footnotesofhistory.com for more episodes. Thanks for listening to Footnotes of History. For more episodes, visit footnotesofhistory.com and subscribe. Or if you want to suggest an episode to us, email us on episodes at footnotesofhistory.com. You can also follow us on social media at foh podcast, Twitter, and we're also on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks for listening.